If you had to pick an emotion that you would want to have, what emotion would you pick? I think for most of us, we'd pick an emotion like peace. No matter what situation it is, no matter what the circumstance in life is, I have peace. That would be great. Maybe for some of us, we'd pick joy. I just want to be a joyful person. That even in the difficulties, I can have joy. Maybe along with that one is happiness. Maybe excitable. Maybe we want to be a a person that everything is just so exciting. Did you see this? Oh my goodness. It's the best thing ever. We all like those emotions. We want those emotions. We want to be characterized as those types of people. But would we ever pick for ourselves sorrow? I don't think so. I don't think I'd wake, I'd wake up in the morning and say, you know what I want to feel today? I want to feel sorrow. That's, that's the emotion that I can't wait to feel today. We pick things like peace, joy, happiness, uh, excited hope. We want to be a hopeful person. Those are the ones we would pick. But what does God want us to, what does God want us to feel? Peace? Absolutely. Because through the blood of Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, we have peace with God. He wants us to have that peace. Does he want us to have joy? You bet. You have the joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven. Does he want you to have hope? Absolutely. Because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life. But what about sorrow? God couldn't possibly want us to feel sorrowful. Could he? That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 today. 2 Corinthians is the second letter written by Paul to the church in Corinth. Let me give you the background real quick. Uh, Paul started the church in Corinth, and then he built up the leaders for a year and a half, and then he left. And as he's gone, word comes to Paul that all of these sins have taken root and has, have reared their ugly head, sprouting up in the church. And these sins aren't petty sins that we look in, and in our eyes we say, oh, it's not that big of a sin. These were some pretty big sins. They had people who were committing sexual immorality like it was no big deal. Their, their mindset was, just like the body needs food, the body also needs sex, so have it with whoever you want. Feed it. There was one specific instance where a man was sleeping with his dad's wife, coming to church and bragging about it, and nobody was saying anything to him. It just was tolerated. People were coming to the Lord's Supper and getting drunk on the wine in church, and nobody said anything. More people joined. There was false teaching about the resurrection, that that Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, was being taught and tolerated in the church. There was slandering, tearing people down, tearing Paul down, tearing people who followed Paul down, tearing other people down. There was all kinds of sins in Corinth. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 
to combat those sins. And in that letter, he speaks pretty harshly on a lot of topics. And Paul addresses that letter and speaking harshly to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we're picking up, verse 8. Here's what he says. Even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but for only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Let's stop right there. Paul says, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. And then he goes on to say, though I did regret it. <laughs> Paul, are you talking out of both sides of your mouth here? What's going on? It, it's actually pretty easy to understand. And uh, if you're a parent, you understand. And if you're not a parent and you're a dog parent, you understand as well. Because when you have to bring the law, when you have to bring punishment, it's not fun. I remember as a kid uh, hearing my parents or parents in general say, this hurts me more than it hurts you when it comes to punishment. And I always thought, no way. That's, there's no way. I'm the one receiving the punishment. But then when you're the one punishing, you realize that's true. It hurts your heart to have to cause someone sorrow pain. And yet it's necessary. It's necessary at times, and Paul knew that it was necessary for the Corinthians to feel this sorrow, because sin was being tolerated. And so Paul spoke harshly and told them exactly what would happen if they continued to sin. And he confronted their sin and it caused them to have sorrow. Paul says, I don't regret it. Because that sorrow turned them around. See, it's your first point this morning. Go ahead. One, there you go. God intends for us to have godly sorrow over sin. That's what Paul wanted the Corinthians to know. Godly sorrow over sin is what God wants us to have. Does he want us to have peace? Absolutely. Does he want us to have joy? Of course. Hope? 100%. But he also wants us to have sorrow over sin. He wants us to grieve sin. He wants us to feel that sorrow. When God created Adam and Eve, when he created mankind, he created us to live in perfect harmony with him. The, the Hebrew word it, for peace is shalom, and it means perfect harmony. Nothing's out of place. Nothing's out of place in nature. Nothing's out of place in us. Nothing's out of place in our relationship with God. Everything is at peace. And then Adam and Eve sinned. And we have too. And our sin 
has separated us from God. It's caused that, that disharmony between us and God. And every time we sin, we get further and further away from God. We put a stumbling block between us and God. And that's a grievous thing. That's a sorrowful thing. And God wants us to have sorrow over our sin. It's what I try to get her to realize. She'd been listening to my sermons online for a little bit, and she contacted me, and she said, hey, I like your preaching except for one thing. I don't think you should talk about guilt and shame. And after listening to her for a while, I said, why? She said, well, because guilt and shame are just emotions that churches use to manipulate people. So you shouldn't be talking about guilt and shame. And I said to her, you're absolutely right. Churches shouldn't be using guilt and shame to manipulate people, to coerce them to do something. However, we are, are going to talk about guilt and shame. We all are going to talk about sorrow over sin. Because sin separates us from God, and that is a sorrowful thing. When we sin, it is a sorrowful, grievous thing because we have put a block between us and God. And that's worthy to grieve. It's worthy to be sorrowful over. And that is godly sorrow. So what Paul talks about here at the end, that, that's godly sorrow, but worldly sorrow brings death. That's godly sorrow. When I grieve, when I'm sorrowful over my sin because it separated me from God, that is godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is I'm sorry because my actions led to some kind of earthly consequence. And so the question is, do we have godly sorrow over sin or do we have worldly sorrow? I'll give you an example of, of godly sorrow. King David in the Old Testament, 1000 B.C., he sinned. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed to cover it up because she became pregnant. And in Psalm 51, back up, Nathan the prophet came and confronted David over his sin and David said, yes, I sinned. The earthly consequence, the child born to Bathsheba from King David was going to die. God was going to bring him home to heaven. David writes Psalm 51 after that. And he says, Lord, against you, you only have I sinned. David wasn't sorrowful because of his earthly consequences. He was sorrowful because he sinned against God. Do we have godly sorrow or do we have worldly sorrow? When you have too much to drink on Friday night and you wake up the next morning with a hangover, are you sorrowful because God says that drunkenness is a sin or because you wake up with a hangover? That would be worldly sorrow. 
as you slander somebody and you gossip? Are you sorrowful because God says slandering is a sin? Or because you were caught and now your reputation has taken a hit? As we live in this world and in our culture filled with sexual immorality, do we have sorrow over our sins around, the sexu- around sexual immorality because it's put a, rela- a block in our relationship with God or because our church family has found out and now it's a little embarrassing to go to church? Do we have godly sorrow because we complain about our situation in life? When God says that everything comes from him and we complain about it, we are actually complaining against God. And do we have sorrow over a broken relationship with God or because people are starting to think that I'm a complainer and I don't want that reputation? Do we have godly sorrow over sin or do we have worldly sorrow over sin? You see, sin is not an oopsies. Sin isn't a, well, I'll try better next time. No, sin is terrible. You and I have two options. We can live for God or we can sin. One, we live for God in heaven. The other, we sin and we're living for hell. There's no middle ground here of, well, I'm kind of living in the both parties here. No, you're either living for one and not the other or you're living for the other one and not the other. And in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says exactly where this leads. He says, if we sow uh, for the flesh, we will reap according to the flesh, and that will lead to destruction. If we sow according to the Spirit, we will reap according to the Spirit eternal life. The choice is ours, Paul says. We can sin, but realize we're going farther and farther away from God with each choice as we sin. This is why Paul has this bold love to the Corinthians and he confronts their sin because they are going this way away from God and not knowing it and Paul confronts them and says, you're sinning, turn. And look what Paul says leads. Go ahead, next one. Godly sorrow, Paul says, leads to, brings repentance which leads to salvation. God wants us to have godly sorrow over sin. And when we have that godly sorrow, it leads to repentance, which then leads to salvation. Repentance means an actual change of mind. The Greek word literally means I change my mind. And so the idea is I'm walking this way. Oh, I change my mind and I want to go this way. So we have godly sorrow over sin. I'm sorry, the Corinthians had godly sorrow over sin. It changed their mind, and they turned to salvation. That's what godly sorrow over sin does and what it brings. Let me show you what this looks like. Let's imagine that uh, this baptismal font is God. Here we are with God, we're standing, we're good with God, and then we sin. Whatever sin you choose, whatever sin you do, whatever sin you you do on a regular basis, we sin, and we sin, and we sin. And then God sends someone like Paul. 
with bold love to confront us on our sin. And we realize, oh no, I've been going the wrong way. I'm going away from God, and it makes us, it brings us filled with sorrow. We have the emotion of sorrowful, and we hit our knees, and we say, oh no, I want to change my mind, and I repent. But then I realize I'm so far from God. I can't hop back over there. I can't run back over there. I can't do enough good works to get back over there. And now here I am. I've repented. I've changed my mind. But now what? How do I get back over there? That's when I see Jesus with his arms open wide. But not like this. Rather like this. When we repent and we change our mind and we turn away from our sin and we look back towards God, what do we see? Our Savior with his arms spread wide on the cross, saving us from all of our sin, winning for you and for me salvation and the forgiveness of sins through his shed blood. We see his arms stretched out open wide to grab us and bridge the gap and bring us back to God. This is what godly sorrow does. We have sorrow over sin, and it changes our mind, and we turn to God away from sin, and we see our Savior, the one who lived and died and rose to take away all our sin so that God can say to you and me once again, we're at peace. Shalom. Harmony between us and God because of Jesus. This is why God wants us to have godly sorrow. Because godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. And it's that godly sorrow that, that leads to salvation that then when we're secure in salvation, it motivates us. Go ahead, Simon. Here's what Paul says. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. Paul says, look at what this has produced in you. Look at what salvation has produced. Godly sorrow led to repentance, which led to salvation as, we po as they pointed their eyes back to Jesus. And look what it produced, an earnestness. An earnestness for what? to get away from sin, an eagerness to put sin behind them, an indignation, anger towards sin, a desire to prove themselves innocent, a desire to clear themselves, to see justice done. What does salvation lead to? A desire to leave sin behind and cling to God, to no longer sin, but to be innocent. 
And that's your last point today. God, godly sorrow leads to a desire to be innocent. Godly sorrow leads to a desire to be innocent. And that's what happens for you and me. When someone comes with bold love and confronts us of our sin, it makes us hit our knees, we turn in repentance, and we see salvation. And the grace of God motivates us the fact that our God would die for you and me to forgive us of our sins for all the times we've gone our own way, that salvation leads us to say no to sin. It fills us with eagerness to cling to our God and flee from sin. It, it makes us earnest in our fight. It, it brings indignation towards sin. No, I'm not going to do that because look at what my God's done for me. It is the grace of God which motivates us. Paul says that in uh, actually Titus chapter 2. Here's what he says. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. What's the it? The grace of God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, in godly lives in this present age. It is the grace of God that makes us say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Godly sorrow is a good thing because when we have godly sorrow over our sin, it turns us and we repent. And then we see the salvation of our God, that through our Savior Jesus, our sins are forgiven, death has been conquered, and it leads us to say no to sin in an earnestness to live for Him. And so have that godly sorrow. Every day, take an account of your life and have sorrow over sin because it has separated you from God. But don't end there. Don't end there. Because sorrow is not the end. Notice what is. Salvation. Salvation leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. And what does the salvation of our God bring us? Peace. Knowing our sins are forgiven. Joy. Knowing that death has been conquered. Hope knowing that eternal life is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, yes, have that godly sorrow. But then let it lead to salvation, which leads to peace, joy, and hope. God be with you this week as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, uh, what amazing love you have for us, that you would come and take our place uh, for those of us that are, are wayward, that go our own way, that put stumbling blocks between us and God. There's no way for us to have salvation without you, and that's exactly what you've done for us. You have brought us the forgiveness of sins and life eternal, so we know that we are at peace with God today. We thank you for that. Uh, help us to take account every single day. Let us have that godly sorrow over sin, because sorrow over sin turns us. It leads us to repentance, which brings us 
to salvation. It brings us to you, our Savior God, who's taken away our sin. Help us to grow in this grace so that we become uh, eagerness, eager to live for you, to fight against sin, and to continue to cling to you and your cross forever. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the hope you've brought us. Fill us with that peace, joy, and hope today. In your name we pray. Amen.